Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. If you are a regular listener, thank you. And if you're here for the first time, thank you as well. My guest for today's episode is Yuri Enders. And today we're talking about a trip to a venue not normally on most people's paddling bucket list, Lake Hoof School in Mongolia. The remoteness of this trip, the challenging logistics, and the hospitality of the people of Mongolia make this one worth it. So after today's interview, your bucket list may have a new destination, and Yuri is your guy. Enjoy today's interview. Hi, Yuri. How are you today? I'm fine, and you? Excellent. I appreciate you joining me today. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah. So, Yuri, tell me a little bit about your personal paddling history. My personal paddling history... I'm mostly a sea kayaker, really. I do a bit of canoeing as well, open canoeing. I am a guide. Uh, I have the BCU Five Star. I mean, the Advanced Sea Kayak Leader, as it's called now. Um, Iska Coastal Guide. I run my own company. Just started <laughs> in February. And yeah, I, I love guiding. I love I love paddling for myself, of course, as well usually on the sea, which isn't always easy if you live in Switzerland. Still, that's what I most, what I love most, really. All right, well, congratulations on starting the new company. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so from Switzerland, how far does it take you to get to the, uh, to get to the sea? Mm, the closest is about five, six hours in a car, just over the Alps to the Mediterranean. And this could be either uh, in France, the Côte d'Azur, or in Italy, around Gen Genova. So Yuri, we're here to talk a little bit about your trip to Mongolia. So tell us a little bit about that trip and about the logistics and, uh, and the trip itself. The trip itself is really easy to explain. It's paddling from Hatgal to Hatgal, that's on the southern edge of Lake Hufskul, and just once around the lake. It's important, uh, the only thing according to Mongolian custom to paddle in a clockwise direction, which we did, of course, uh, because we don't want to offend the spirits of the lake. And, you know, it's just a Mongolian custom to do it like that. The logistics um, are a major point, of course, because um, you, if you want to go to Mongolia with the intention to paddle, you you first need to find anything with which you could paddle <laughs> a boat uh there's not much around in terms of kayaks so we first had to get the boats there so and that was in itself of course a major story i guess uh, a big effort so how did you get boats there mm, we bought boats here in europe from rebel kayaks in poland uh, excellent boats, really, and sent them off in a container through the Trans-Siberian Railway. We actually bought the container because that's the home of the kayaks now. <laughs> so that was uh, quite practical. So, yeah, the kayaks traveled in my container on a train through Russia, through Siberia, I think 6,000 kilometers or so. Uh, in January, it was freezing cold and arrived at one point in Ulaanbaatar where it took about a week or so to for the container to be clear, cleared because of the customs. We need all kinds of documents really but in the end it worked out pretty well. From there the 
the container went onto a truck and the truck drove through basically half of Mongolia because the lake is in a very remote area of the country. It's in the far northern corner on the Russian border. There are roads, of course, which isn't always um, given in Mongolia, but to that point you can drive by road, but still it's, it's a big trip really, and especially in winter time, the infrastructure in Mongolia is not great and you get temperatures of minus 50 degrees Celsius. I don't know what's that in Fahrenheit, but it's really, really, really cold. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what yeah. it is either, but minus 50 is cold, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it is definitely very cold. Yeah, I think minus 40 is the same in Fahrenheit and Celsius. So yeah, you can you have a guess. <laughs> <laughs> so any real snags in that process? As I said, the paperwork was a bit difficult. I think some paper was missing and we had to get it to them. But the guys in Poland were really friendly and helpful and provided all the necessary papers. The container and the boats arrived like February and our trip was in July. So we had a lot of time in between. So if anything wouldn't have worked out, that wouldn't have been a major problem. But I think that was a good idea because otherwise, you know, there's always surprises in Mongolia. So so you're storing them in the container there now. Do you have, what's what kind of space, how did you arrange to have space there? Well, that was easy. As I said, I, I bought the whole container. <laughs> so uh, the container was actually half uh, half empty. It's uh, It's been, um, how many boats actually? Uh, 10 boats, I think. Is it 10? Yeah, 10 boats, 10 boats plus paddles, plus plus some other stuff. Uh, that's not much in a container, of course. Almost empty, really. <laughs> but you just arranged with the local landowner to, to place it on their property uh, then? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, the good thing is um, I've been to Mongolia before that quite often. I stopped counting at one point, I guess 12, 13 times, something like that. I can't really remember. And so I know people there and I know a guy in Hatgal uh, who is very helpful and uh, space is usually not the issue in Mongolia so everyone has space the country is sort of empty in our standards at least in European standards so yeah pe- people are happy to help you anyway and that guy just said yeah you can you can just put the container into my garden and not it's not a problem really <laughs> well that's that's pretty nice so 12 to 13 times to mongolia what is it that took you there all those times and what keeps bringing you back <laughs> yeah that's a good question i am um well in my first life i've been a uh, uh, anthropologist and geographer i have done quite a bit of research there uh, especially in the north of the country I speak a bit of Mongolian. It's getting worse now that I don't spend that much time there anymore, but still okay. I can manage pretty well. Once you you really spend a bit of time in Mongolia, and once you know Mongolian people and the countryside, you just have to love it, really. It's just such an amazing, fantastic place and such, you know, good people. I did the research for my PhD there, uh, which was in itself like I don't know six seven field trips over many many months during that time I started to run canoe trips I think that is quite important to mention yeah (laughs) Um, because I've I've been working for a Swiss canoe shop 
I've been working as a guide there. There was even before I I was really going into sea kayaking. I've been I've been doing open canoe trips and guiding open canoe trips. And at the same time, I was writing my PhD then, and I yeah needed some income, you know, to to afford these field trips. So I asked my boss then, uh, hey, look, this is a fantastic country. It's got some beautiful rivers and showed him pictures and asked, shouldn't we buy some canoes there? And back then, that was years ago, like 10, 11 years ago, uh, there was the opportunity. There were some good, actually, Winona canoes in the country, which we could buy secondhand which we did, he did, and uh, so we started to run uh, canoe trips there, which we still do, actually. Only only really 10 years after that came the idea uh, with the sea kayak trips. So tell us a little bit about the trip itself. You mentioned it's pretty basic, it's, uh, it's around the lake, but let's hear about some of the uh, interesting things about the, the geography of the area and the, the lake itself. It's a beautiful, nice and remote wild place it's about 1600 meters above sea level so pretty high it's frozen for about eight months a year and it usually it usually just melts in early or mid-june so (laughs) you can imagine it's cold Uh, all around are mountains actually no uh on the on the uh west side and on the north side uh, are very high mountains uh, with mountain tiger, so bears live there, wolves and everything, every wild thing you can imagine, really. And on the east side, it's a little less mountainous, but still forest everywhere, uh, forest and steppe valleys as well, and just as wild, really, just just not as, just the mountains are not as dramatic. It's an absolutely beautiful place. It's protected as a national park. For Mongolians, it's uh, kind of a sacred, very special place as well. They call it the the Hufskul Ocean, actually. (laughs) They don't really call it a lake. For them, it's their ocean. And it is quite like an ocean. It's uh, 260 meters deep. So a lot of water. I think it's, wasn't it? I think 0.1% of the world's fresh water. So that's quite a bit of water, actually. Um, Yeah, so... Quite a large lake, really. In terms of uh, distance across, what are we talking in terms of distance across the lake? Just to give, uh, you know, width, width and length, to give listeners a scale of the lake. The width, I can't even remember. Maybe the width is maybe 30, 40 kilometers on the widest place. The trip around it is about 300 kilometers. So I think it's it must be around 120 uh, from south, from north to south or south to north, which we started in south and uh, finished in the south, of course. It's 300 kilometers all around. And uh, you have one village in the south, Khatgal, and one village in the north, which is called Khankh, a bit smaller. And these are the only places you can buy food. These are the only permanently populated places. Otherwise, it's nomads country really and the nomadic people who live there tend to use the the shore of the lake really in in winter time rather than in summertime because uh, part of it is uh, 
I think because of the flies and they they go they go further up in the mountains so you know to different pastures really so if you go there in summer and once you leave the touristy area in the south around Hatgal you are really in the wild there's just no one around so you mentioned tourist areas uh, let's talk a little bit about that you mentioned a town at the at the south Hatgal Katgal I think it was. Yes, it's called Hatgal. Mm-hmm. Hatgal. All right. So tell yeah, us a little Hatgal. bit about that and about the size of the town, just to give us an idea of the scale. It's a kind of a mid-sized town, I would say. It's not a really small town. Uh, for Mongolian standards, it's quite a busy place. And uh, it has a lot of tourist infrastructure, uh, which means usually small hotels in the village and then just around around on the, on the shore of the lake. You have uh, gear camps, which is uh, gear is the Mongolian word for for a yurt. Uh, and this is a yeah a Mongolian form of hotel where you can book your own yurt or gear <laughs> and stay there. Uh, it's quite popular among Asian tourists, but also among European and American tourists. Uh, but this is this is really just the first twenty kilometers around around Khatgal and then it stops and then you're in the wild. All right, so I see a, a quick Wikipedia search here shows that the town has a just shy of 4,000 inhabitants, actually shy of 3,000 inhabitants as of uh, the year 2000. So uh, not very large, but like you said, probably large by uh, local standards. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, I said um, if you if you travel in Mongolia, th- this country is really it doesn't have a big population and there's a lot of space. Once you reach Hatgal, it feels pretty big. Yeah, it feels much bigger than a 4,000 people village somewhere in Europe, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so why this trip? Well, uh, as I said, I love Mongolia. So, and I love sea kayaking. And although it's, <laughs> it might not seem very obvious because Mongolia is a landlocked country and actually very far away from the sea, for me it just seemed, you know, natural to 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 try to combine both things. You know, my love for Mongolia, uh, my passion for Mongolia, uh, my passion for sea kayaking, and as I've been guiding canoe trips in Mongolia before I said yeah okay let's take it to the next level and get some sea kayaks there <laughs> just do it so you recruited others to uh, to join this trip as well and uh, you were guiding this trip is that correct yes that's correct yeah yeah so, it wasn't like a test run uh, hmm. so basically I knew almost all people which were on the trip before uh, so it wasn't a very typical trip from that perspective, but yeah, yeah, still I guided it. Yeah. Okay. Cause I wonder, you know, you're talking about it being a, a lake in a landlocked country. So what was it that drove the people that you guided, um, to say, yeah, I really want to go on this trip. This is something that's of interest to me. I assume, you know, I can't give that answer for everybody, but I assume it is yeah, just because it's special. It's not many people go sea kayaking in Mongolia on the Ufskul Ocean. It's a lake, yeah. You can you can drink straight out of it. It's crystal clear blue water. Yeah, it's very special anyway. Even even though if we're usually, I love kayaking on on the sea. I don't 
go a lot onto our legs here to be honest because yeah it's not you know it's not the most exciting thing usually uh and i like uh i like uh you know more playful kayaking i like rough stuff and waves and surfing rock hopping tight races all that kind of stuff and that of course isn't there in mongolia there it's all about expeditioning and it's all about being in that beautiful place <laughs> so you talk about it being special um, what is it specifically that you find so special about uh, about the lake the lake itself you can drink straight out of it that's quite unusual for me coming from europe uh, i mean our lakes are clean too but i wouldn't drink out of them uh, you can really just do that and dunk your cup into the lake drink of it yeah, and, and the remoteness, of course, and the animals in the forest, the forest itself, the, the nomadic people, which, you know, are, you don't meet a lot of them, but you, you at one point, you meet them, you know, or at several points, every, every other day or every couple of days, you, you meet a nomadic herder. Uh, uh, no, it's not true, actually not every other day, but yeah, I think we, we, we've met like three or four times on the trip on the whole trip which was 14 days yeah so something like that <laughs> so people are often the thing that make the trip so interesting and uh, and so satisfying so tell us a little bit about some of the, uh, the the beautiful people that you met along the way i remember for example one story where we it was quite in the north of the of the lakes so and not that far away from from Khanj, the town in the north which is the border town to russia uh, we met a. We just set up our camp, and then uh, a herder popped by <laughs> with his horse and his son, actually. Yeah, and of course he wanted to know who we are, where we are from, what we do, and 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 uh, of course he was a bit surprised that I can speak Mongolian with him, so he was quite pleased, of course, and. You know, you offer them tea and, and they offer you tea. If you go to them, that's normal. You know, and then they, they tell you stories of their life. And, and for example, I remember this guy showing showing a huge scar on the on the hind leg of his horse, a really massive scar, and, and telling me ah, that that was a wolf just last winter. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wolves here are, are a problem, really. Uh, there's lots of, I mean, yeah, a problem uh, for them. I mean, I like wolves, but uh, it's it's something you have to face, yeah. <laughs> and that's the, the facts of life there. It's, it's, just, it's just a rough life. It's a hard life. Uh, it's a free life, on the other hand. It's, a, I'd say, a beautiful life. But I don't want to romanticize that. Uh, it's certainly um, not an easy life, definitely. And you are out there on your own and you have to cope with it, with whatever comes. Wolves, loneliness, you know, little finances, little income, uh, or even no income, just caring for your animals, living by and living with your animals. You mentioned uh, the town at the north, and you mentioned that it was a border town with Russia. Now, do you cross into Russia at all? Uh, no, but but uh, you still <laughs> you still have to get the right papers before you go on the trip. That's actually a very important uh, thing to do. Uh, it's called a border permit, and you need to get 
that paper in Murun, which is the province capital of the Hufskul province. And then once you reach Hatkal, which is, as we said, a border town, uh, you need to meet up with the local border guards there and get it stamped. So that was quite an effort because you and you're seriously running into troubles if you don't. <laughs> so I really advise you to to follow that. So yeah, we got picked up by the lake when we arrived in the in the town, and I had to go with the border guard to the uh, to his office, actually into the barracks. Uh, it was quite interesting and take take all the passports from everybody, the the paper, and get it stamped, and then you're done. They're all friendly, you know. They but but it's an adventure. These these little things make it even more an adventure. So if you never cross into Russia, well, why is it that you are required to get Russian papers? Don't ask me. It's not, <laughs> it's not a Russian. <laughs> it's not a Russian paper. It's a Mongolian paper. I think they want to know. Uh, it's. I think it's a pretty old thing, really. Um, and no one ever could tell me why it's necessary. They just know it is necessary. They want to know who is in their border area, really. Uh, for whatever reason. And yeah, you just have to do it. Interesting. So what did you find out to be the biggest challenges of the trip? In our case, certainly it's clear one thing comes to my mind and that was uh, uh, one of the people on the trip was my partner, Ella. We, you know, we were really looking forward to that trip. <laughs> uh, we prepared ourselves for a long time and we've been paddling together since since we've been together really, so for quite a bit of time and we've done challenging trips and, and everything. But on that trip, just really three days or was it even two days, two or three days after, after the trip started, uh, she all of a sudden got serious problems with her wrist. And I, re I really mean serious. She couldn't move her hand. She was in big pain. Uh, it was starting to swell. That was, of course, uh, really worrying. I could even, you know, in the beginning, I could see, oh, ah, this doesn't look good. And this is not the right, the right place to, you know, for something like this to develop. And this is going to be uh, something we will really have to deal with. And that's what happened. Yeah. So we made her paddle another day with, uh, you know, we taped her arm even to her paddle. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, you know, it was even the, it was the same paddle uh, she's, she uses at home nothing really changed except for the fact that you know usually we we paddle on rougher water where you you don't do this kind of monotonous paddling and i assume this may have had something to do with it so she had um, a swollen wrist and big big pain and after four or five days it was clear she can't go on and uh, she got a fever even then uh, we had to uh, call, make a call on the satellite phone to my to my partner in in uh, Khatgal, and he had to come with a motorboat in order to get her. Uh, that was very sad, of course, uh, because for us it was uh, something we had dreamt about, and this was our annual holiday as well. Even though I was guiding at the same time, and of course, you know that that brings along. It's 
own problems. Um, if you, as a guide, you know, you have to make decisions. Of course, it's clear people think, well, okay, this is his girlfriend. Is he really objective in his decisions? These kinds of things. And uh, yeah, certainly. So, so that's stuff I had to deal with all of a second. So you're able to, to make that decision, though. So what did you end up learning from that? I think, um, first of all, we've done the right thing, really. Uh, it wouldn't have made sense to, to keep her on the trip. Um, I was I was first suggesting, you know, let's slow it down, even though that, that would mean that we might not make it all around the lake. Uh, maybe we just would make it until Hanch or, you know, like half of the trip. But uh, uh, people were really happy about that idea. <laughs> I can imagine there, there are different leader styles, of course, you know, you can try to do decide things in a democratic way or in an autocratic way and in that case i've been going for the democratic because i i really felt okay yeah what what are people going to think you know and say because yeah obviously she's my partner and i'm not neutral here and of course people know i want her to be around and of course you know so i, I was trying to to solve this together with the group and that Mm, that didn't work out too well yeah finally finally it was really it was a good learning for me the decision to send her back was right it was a painful one certainly but it was the right decision and probably you know the the the, the other big lesson is if you're going with a group and your partner and you have to be prepared for for these these situations even if you think that will never happen because ah, <laughs> this happens to anyone else, but not you or to n not to you or your partner. Anything can happen anywhere, and you need to be prepared for all scenarios. So absolutely, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So uh, in terms of in terms of camping, is it uh, a wild camp anywhere, or how do you go about uh, deciding camp locations on this trip? Mm, you can camp anywhere in Mongolia. I mean, it's Mongolian culture to just, you know, there's no private land really, except for in the villages. Um, you are officially allowed to camp everywhere. And that's what people do. It's, as I said, it's their culture. So that is really easy. <laughs> Still, you need to find a decent camping spot, of course. It should, you know, it shouldn't be really in the bush because of the flies mosquitoes and yeah also the bears there are in in the western part where you know where the mountains are high there are quite a couple of bears and we saw tracks of bears and we saw tracks of wolves and we heard wolves howl and it's just basic wilderness skills re you really need and uh, you just look for for tracks of animals and you just you just uh, uh think yeah what what is a good place or not in 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 all these these um under these aspects the good thing is of course you don't need to worry about drinking water because you can just drink out of the lake no problem at all firewood is all around no problem either it's easy really easy to pick a good camp there well other than the logistics of getting there it sounds like the ideal place to, to uh, paddle yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it's really and it's an easy paddle usually. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't be um, 
prepared. It's cold water. Did I mention it just it just melts in 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 mid June and we yes. just came about two weeks or three weeks later. So it was still really really cold. And uh, so yeah, you should wear a dry suit. You should um, you should be able to deal with winds. There are it, you have windy days, of course. We had foggy days and we had thunderstorms. We had massive thunderstorms that's pretty normal in mongolia because you have the dry uh, continental climate and the warm air masses from siberia and then hitting the mountains towering up and you get you get massive thunderstorms really and they last the whole night and you had that quite often along your trip or not in this one yeah 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 we had that quite often i at least at least four or five times we had big thunderstorms <laughs> luckily not really on the water because uh, when we had we just we could easily still get off the water and wait for it to pass no big crossings or anything it's pretty much staying close to the coast the entire time uh, up to you really um i mean if you you know if you're paddling around a lake you can if you want to you can just paddle <laughs> really on the shore all the time but uh, as we are also lazy people, of course. We, 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 you know, we cross over bays, and and there, there were some crossings, yeah, not not major big ones, but certainly up to two hours crossings, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that, sure, and we didn't do that when it was a dangerous day for thunderstorms, and we always check the barometer, of course. That's really important because things change quite rapidly there. Now, are you able to get reliable weather forecasts while you're there? In the beginning, of course, yes. And we had a Garmin um, uh, inReach, which gave us uh, some some uh, weather forecasts. Yeah. Uh, in the end of it, it's just really you, you, you look at your barometer, you look at the clouds, and it's, it's quite easy to say, you know, th- this day is a bit dodgy and the other day is fine. So that, that's not a huge problem, I would say. All right. You talked about wildlife earlier. Uh, any any particularly uh, notable wildlife encounters? Anything that was uh, sketchy, I guess I'll call it. No, no. Uh, well, uh, once we saw, uh, yeah, we saw really bear tracks, <laughs> pretty fresh bear tracks around our camp, not far, like five minutes away in the bush. And uh, quite a couple of uh, wolf tracks as well. But I mean, they're harmless too. They they don't eat people. But still, uh, it's wildlife, and wildlife can bite. <laughs> <laughs> so, what advice would you give to somebody planning a big expedition? Well, um, in Mongolia, uh, one important thing is, of course, um, think twice before you go without an interpreter, because no one will speak your language. So you should have someone around, you know, who can speak, who can communicate to the people. Uh, my strong suggestion also be prepared you know in mongolia that uh, um, the food you may be getting on the way may may be a bit different than what you may be used to um i love it i love mongolian food totally but uh, it's you know it's just the meat is a bit rougher it is there's a bit more fat on it and it's just you know the vegetable choice is very limited you've got cabbage onions uh, potatoes and carrots and garlic and that's pretty much it in the countryside and yeah uh you you can buy meat off 
nomadic people if you're lucky but not always so you have to be really prepared you got to bring some you should bring some dry food which we did but uh, not not like processed uh, bought dry expedition food i mean stuff which we made ourselves dried apples and so on this this kind of stuff so prepare that and and yeah and and just be I don't know. Uh, I think you just have to love it, really. This this kind of I I always tell people, do you love simple outdoor life? <laughs> and most people say yes, 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 of course, of course. And then they realize, hmm, um, it's maybe a bit too simple for my taste, or you know, it's 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 uh, I I didn't suspect it to be or expect it to be like that. So that happens quite a bit. Yeah, people complain about, you know, meat that is not tender or, you know, whatever. It's, it's just, yeah, it's a bit rougher, of course, than Europe or America. But uh, I think in the end of it, pretty much everyone is happy because the country is still, even though it's a bit rougher, it's a fantastic place and the the warm-heartedness of the people you meet, you know, it, it, and the friendliness and the hospitality, it just makes up for all potential hardships, if you want to call it hardship. I wouldn't, but yeah, uh, sour milk or <laughs> sour milk products, fermented horse milk, that kind of stuff. And either you like it or yeah, you don't. So just always remember you're a guest in, in their country and a guest in their home and uh, be pleasant and roll with the punches. Absolutely, absolutely. That's totally important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. And if you if you if you don't, then then don't bother going there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any other advice you might have for someone just planning a, an expedition in general? Be prepared about you know to get get as much information as possible. That's what I do when I do you know when I plan trips. Eat. You know, if it's a big expedition or a smaller trip, that's actually the same. You, you just get as much information as possible, you know, about weather patterns, the coastline, the, you know, where to get water from, where to get food from. And, the, you know, are there many exposed places like capes or, or, you know, tidal information, tidal streams, all that sort, you know, the, the usual sort of stuff that's absolutely relevant, of course. And, and train for it. Also think about, you know, how many miles will I make per day? Or will I have to make? Build in weather windows. Be conservative in your planning. <laughs> and, and yet still you need some optimism, of course. <laughs> and you need to enjoy it. It all sounds like, okay, that's really rough stuff. But And sometimes it is, but... I think yeah, just just prepare for it and and still enjoy it. It's, it's it's a privilege, really. If having an interpreter is uh, one of the biggest challenges, and if getting boats there is also one of the biggest challenges, you've solved that uh, through Moriac. So tell us a little bit about Moriac. Uh, I I might I might um, need to add um, that this wasn't Moriac times then. Um, I was uh, that was uh, when I was still working for my previous uh, employer, a canoe shop in Switzerland. Um, the one that I'm still running the the or that I still run the uh, canoe trips with. Uh, 
but that was my really my private initiative it was i wanted to do this i i i said okay it's you know i just it may sound a bit you know uh, too romantic but it's true i i just really said you know it's it's my life it's i i have only one and i want to do that and i have been dreaming about that for a very long time so i'll buy these boats and get them there and then i'll do it i didn't think much in terms of of business but now that i look back i think that sort of was the start of moriak even though i didn't know it then there was it was the first you know time i invested in stuff and uh, i i still have the boats there <laughs> hopefully they're gonna pay back uh, or be 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 paid back uh, Oh, is that right English? No, sorry. Um, <laughs> how do you say that? Oh, you're you're on the right track. So uh, yeah, okay. they'll, they'll pay they'll pay they'll pay themselves off. <laughs> they'll pay themselves off exactly. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah. Anyway, but but I, it wasn't it wasn't the decisive factor really. It was I, I just wanted to do it, and now I have Moyak. Yeah, and and you asked me to tell a bit about Moyak. Sure. Uh, Moyak. I started it in February. We have nice, very nice trips and expeditions. Usually, of course, in Europe, and that means in the Mediterranean, in Spain, in Italy, in France, Corsica, the island of Elba, which is sort of our second home. We have trips in Jersey, in the UK, in in, in Sweden, Norway, Finland, Estonia. So, so pretty much everywhere over. Europe and of course the Mongolia trip and certainly we will have uh, more expeditions as well and with you know we're also happy to work with other um, other companies who share the same values and who you know who offer the quality that that we think is important and yeah uh, I hope <laughs> I hope this will be a good concept. Wonderful. So, uh, so Yuri, how can listeners reach you? They can reach me at, uh, of course, through my website, info at moyak.ch or the website www.moyak.ch or on Facebook, Moyak Premium Sea Kayaking. Yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> and right. by the way, yeah, I'm just translating the website in English. So once this will be broadcast the website will be available in english it's almost done actually <laughs> so yuri i do have one final question uh, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on paddling the blue i can think of my old friend and colleague uh yannick and his partner franzi um who run very good and nice um, kayak school, whitewater kayak school here in Switzerland. And they are now stuck in Patagonia because of COVID-19. Um, no flights, uh, no way to get back home. And yeah, they, I think, you know, they, they make the best of it, but still I can imagine it's getting quite hard now because they've, I think they left to they left to chile i think in november or something and they had a good time a good winter with nice paddling on the futa leofu and other places uh but now they're stuck uh it, i think it'd be interesting to see how they're doing 
That does sound like a, a really interesting story. And there's worse places in the world to be stuck, but I suppose it's also a challenging to be stuck halfway across the world and not know when you're going to get back and uh, who knows where your food source is going to be and everything else, I suppose. Absolutely. Yes, yes, exactly. So, well, excellent. Well, I will definitely uh, connect with you and get Yannick and Francie's information and uh, we'll follow up with them and see how they're doing down there in Patagonia. Cool. <laughs> So Yuri, it's been wonderful speaking with you today and uh, learning about Lake Kufskull. I think I pronounced that Hoof correct. School, yeah. Hoof School, excuse me, Hoof School. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I've uh, been learning about that and learning about your trip and learning about Moriac as well. So I really appreciate you joining me today and uh, thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me and it was big fun. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, power to the paddle, is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Yuri really delivered a great picture of a beautiful and wild place in Lake Hoof School. Those of us from the U.S. Great Lakes region know that you don't need to be on the sea to have a great time in a sea kayak, and Yuri gives us another example of just that. So if getting off the beaten path and to a location most people never get to see, consider Mongolia. Our next episode is going to feature Dimitri Vanderpool. And if you're active on the internet, you've probably seen Dimitri's videos, his reviews, and his antics with his North Sea kayak paddling team. So we'll be talking about Dimitri's crossing of the North Sea. So thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.